Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. What is the thorn in Paul's flesh? That is the question that we will answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, spokesperson for the CSB, alongside my thorn in the flesh, my co-host, Trevin Wax, <laughs> the uh, Bible and Reference Publisher for BNH. And uh, today, you, uh, we, our guest is uh, Dr. George Guthrie. He is the Benjamin W. Prefer- uh, Perry Professor of Bible at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, we've had him on the show before, and uh, he's an author of numerous books, uh, including uh, commentaries on Hebrews and Second Corinthians, as well as uh, the really, really helpful uh, Read the Bible for Life, Your Guide to Understanding and Living God's Word. So thank you so much for jumping on with us, George. It's great to be with you guys again. All right, let's go ahead and read our text for today's episode, and we will discuss a few different views of it. Uh, this is Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 in the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, remember, this is right after Paul talks about a man, possibly he's speaking of himself. That's debatable. We need to do another podcast on that one. It's not promising future podcasts. Uh, (laughs) Seeing uh, the third heaven. He talks about someone seeing the third heaven, but not boasting about it. And then he says in the beginning, picking up in verse seven, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah, so so many of us know verses 9 and 10, right? The, my grace is sufficient for you. When I'm weak, I am strong. We see that on bookmarks. and You have a coffee mug with that at home. I probably you do, really yeah. do. I might have it tattooed on me too somewhere. It's on your t-shirt yeah. right now. Oh. But, uh, everybody knows that verse. Uh, but often I think the one that confuses people uh, is verse 7. It's definitely the one you don't see uh, on uh, shirts and, and bookmarks. And it's this idea of Paul talking about this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan. And so we're going to look at a few views really quick, and then we'll, we'll have George hop in here and kind of help us work through it a little bit. So, Trevin, you want to take the first view? All right. First view is a long pedigree. It's uh, that the thorn in the flesh is a physical ailment. Uh, Tertullian, the church father, held to this view. Uh, Paul had some sort of disability. Uh, some people have wondered if it were headaches, epilepsy. Um, there seems to be, you've got a defense for this view is mentioned, is Paul's mention in Galatians 4 of a physical illness that seemed to have something to do with his eyes. Maybe he had an impaired vision, um, you know, eye, different eye diseases and things are very painful, uh, also debilitating. So, uh, through over, over the centuries and throughout the years, many people have, have speculated that perhaps the thorn in the flesh was a physical malady of some kind. Paul prayed for healing and God said, no, this is here for my glory and for your good. Yeah. So the second view is, is kind of be the opposite of that really, which is saying that it's some kind of psychological malady. So instead of being a physical ailment, uh, maybe Paul has some sort of anxiety disorder or severe depression, uh, maybe, you know, some have speculated that maybe because of his persecution of the church and his sin in the past that he's always kind of got this, uh, you know, almost like his testimony is his thorn in a way, uh, that he's always regretting what he did in the past. Uh, or maybe it's just some sort of, uh, you know, temptation to sin or struggle with sin that we actually don't know about that's, that's never mentioned. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the psychological view that there's something psychological going on there. 
Okay, and a third view is that the thorn is um, external opposition. So uh, this view comes out in different ways from different scholars, but it, it would have something to do with the opposition that he received from Judaizers or some other opponents to his ministry. Um, John Chrysostom, I mean, if we're, this one has a long pedigree as well, because if you go all the way back to Tertullian with a physical ailment, you go all the way back to Chrysostom, who suggests that it might have been Alexander the coppersmith. Uh, who Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 4, you know, that there's there's external opposition to his work, his ministry, and that is the reason why Paul uh, mentions this, and that's what he's referring to. Yeah, so George, you, you mentioned in, in the Baker commentary on, on 2 Corinthians that, you know, in one sense, maybe it's maybe it's best to leave it unnamed, because Paul never, leave, you know, he never names it. But then, uh, in the end of the day, you do kind of take a view and say that one of them you think is the best option. So uh, maybe you could give us a kind of quick overview of which option you prefer and uh, and why you prefer it. Sure. Uh, I think probably among the options, option two seems to me to be the least likely. Uh, you do have places in Second Corinthians chapter one where Paul is struggling with heavy duty emotions. You know, he says there that um, he had the sentence of death in himself uh, a little bit earlier in uh, chapter 11 when he's giving this long hardship list. He mentions pressure he faced on a daily basis related to the churches. But uh, you know, thinking in terms of kind of psychological maladies is really something that we're more into in the modern era rather uh, than what they would have thought. They would, just wouldn't have thought this way uh, in the We thought like world. it was uh, maybe uh, spiritual oppression or something like that more than kind of the scientific way we think of it. Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. But most of the people who are talking about the psychological position are thinking in terms of you know emotional maladies and that and that kind of thing. Paul Paul's thinking of something here that is attacking him from the outside. It seems to me. So um, option two doesn't seem the best choice. Option one is a possibility. You know people do point to Galatians four, as uh, uh, was mentioned. Um, but the you know just a couple of things there. The eyes. Uh, the the whole thing about Paul saying you know you guys would have plucked out your eyes. Craig Keener points out that. This was just a common figure of speech that people would use when they were talking about the value of somebody else. Uh, so I, I'm not even sure that um, that, that uh, passage in Galatians 4 is especially relevant to this. I think the best option is option three, and I, I think context really tips the balance here. So let me just kind of walk through a couple of things related to context, and you guys can kind of uh, you know add something if you'd like to. Um, if you look at uh, where we are in the book of 2 Corinthians, we're in what is normally called the fool's speech. So that runs from chapter 12 or chapter 11, verse 22 through 12, 10. Um, what Paul's doing is he's bragging. And the reason why he's bragging is the Corinthians and the opponents have been kind of goading him to, uh, to kind of go toe to toe with them and having these public bragging sessions. And he keeps saying, you know, that's not the way that I do ministry. Um, and finally, he gets to this point in the book, and he says, okay, you, you pushed me far enough. Uh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do this public bragging session. And he starts in with what they would expect by giving a little bit of, of pedigree, but then he turns it upside down, and he starts bragging about all of the hardships that he's experienced. And if you read back through the speech, uh, beginning in 1222, most of these hardships really involve persecution. So it's, it's a hardship list in which he's bragging basically about the fact that he's been beat up so much 
in the cause of Christ. Well, and that, that explains um, why he says in verse, in, right after he talks about pleading with the Lord to take the thorn from him, he says, so I'll gladly boast him all the more about my weaknesses, verse 10, right. so I take pleasure in weaknesses, and then he adds insults, hardships, persecutions, that's right. and in difficulties. Absolutely. Um, in, now I, I got to be honest. I have I was I walked into this podcast. I've le- leaned toward view one, just sort of the tr- it's one of the traditional views. Right. I, I mean, I guess both view one and view three are traditional. But um, the, reading that in light of what you're saying does kind of sway me to to think about the yeah. the persecution option being Look, it's stronger. So, it's so easy to get Trevin just to switch his view on anything. It's not that. it's wow. not that easy. I was I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> sh- sure about this and I I do have a follow-up question I want to ask you Dr. Guthrie about sure. um uh, the the wisdom of uh, potentially uh, of Paul not naming it but I but I, we'll get to that when we talk about how we would preach or teach this. Uh, what what are some other reasons that you're as you lay out what why you you go with view 3? Right. Well, you, you were ahead of me. My next point was verse 10. You know, this is the summary of the whole list, and you nailed it right there. Um, other things would be um, in the passage that we're looking at. He talks about the thorn in the flesh troubling him, I think the CSB says. Um, it actually, the word is normally used to to mean beat. It's it's the term uh, kalafidze uh, here where um, Paul is talking about whatever this thorn was beating against him. It's the same word that's used in the Gospels when they beat Jesus with their fists. Uh, so it's a term that... that yeah, the, would... the, the CSB actually is torment. Oh, to torment. torment okay. Me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it can be used figuratively that way, but consistently in the New Testament, I think it's used about six times, it's used of uh, persecution, physical difficulties that someone would be going through. So it is a term that seems to be tied to persecution. And then he also calls the thorn a messenger of Satan. Uh, earlier in chapter 11, he, uh, or, yeah, he calls it a messenger of Satan. Earlier in chapter 11, he speaks of the servants of Satan. So the opposition there in Corinth, he labels them, tags them as servants of Satan. So all of these different factors together seem to add up to me, um, pointing in the direction that the context favors thinking of the thorn in terms of persecution. That That's um, very helpful, and for me at least, very persuasive. Yeah, we're both over here kind of like nodding at each other, like, yeah, like, that's, wow. that's pretty case Yeah, close. Brandon <laughs> just did the sign of, like, hitting it out of the ballpark. Um, yeah, I threw a ball here. up, okay. an imaginary ball up in the air. And... <laughs> uh, I, I will say, okay, so we always at the— after we talk about the views and we take a position and I'm, I'm switching now from one to three on account of that, I, I will, we, we always like to talk about how we would preach or teach this passage. Yeah, and right. I'd, I'd like your counsel on that. There is something you do mention this in, in your Baker commentary, it, that it might be best to leave the thorn unnamed as Paul does. So I, I wonder if one of the ways that the Lord has used the ambiguity or the fact that Paul has not been clearly defined what this is as a way of giving um, a, a measure of strength and support through through the years to people who may be in all three of these circumstances, right? Someone right. who yeah. who does have the physical ailment, who believes that it's impairing their ability to work for the kingdom of God, or uh, the psychological malady, or it, it might be it actually might be uh, persecution or opposition. So so that Paul's leaving it unclear. Uh, or undefined anyway, even if we do think that the third view is the best, 
that there's wisdom there in that there could be application that goes beyond that third view so that people um, in all sorts of circumstances could see how the grace of God is sufficient for them and how God can make manifest his glory and weakness. Sure. Uh, you know, I've, I've struggled with this a bit in just trying to think through it myself. Um, the, the context of Second Corinthians clearly is speaking about um, these things as taking place in the context of advancing the gospel in the world, yeah. you know. And so when we're kind of going up that hermeneutical ladder to the principles so that we can come down on the side of, of application, we want to start with the most immediate application, right? Sure. Uh, you know, the things that are closest to the sense of what's going on. But I do think it's appropriate. Um, there is language that Paul uses elsewhere in the book that lends itself to uh, dealing with just the, the difficulties we face generally in life. And I don't think Paul would have strictly dichotomized life and, okay, here's my ministry stuff over here, and here's my personal stuff, and, you know, and that, that kind of thing. So, Trevin, I think that there's, um, there's plenty of evidence that um, Paul would be okay with that, you know, that, that maybe this ambiguity does lend itself to us thinking about the Lord as a Redeemer of other things in our lives. And we certainly have the support of broader biblical theology, right? Yeah. You know, you, you think of James 1, 2 through 4, uh, those those different difficulties and trials that we fall into in life. Um, so, you know, especially since we have the backdrop of a broader biblical theology that speaks of God as the Redeemer of all kinds of difficulties and challenges. I think we're we're on safe ground of saying we can extrapolate out from this and say this may start with dealing with ministry stuff, but but certainly could deal with broader weaknesses That's good. Um, as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there may be something to the idea too of, of we're talking about the if if the third view, let's say that you're you're teaching this and you kind of take that third view. Um, you know, there is kind of the idea too of of the way that Paul handles um, external opposition or external circumstances. Um, the way that even though he's being attacked, not only by uh, Judaizers, in some ways by his own people, or at least the people right. that he wants associated with, um, that there is a right. sense in which even though he's being attacked by those people who maybe he loved or people who uh, are, are making his life or his ministry harder, there is something there, too, of him saying, look, regardless of what is happening outside of me, the one thing I can do is rest in the strength of God and not in my own weaknesses right. or my own my own struggles. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and I would say that if, if I'm preaching or teaching on this, um, a main point I would want to make is that God's good gifts sometimes come wrapped in strange packages. You know, power the power of God is perfected in our weakness, which which is not a very kind of an American slogan, you know, that we want to embrace. Yeah. Uh, we like we like being perfected in our strengths. Mm -hmm. But but the fact is that when we face uh, weaknesses, God humbles us and at times uses the circumstances of those weaknesses actually to advance the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, this this past summer, just an example, this isn't a persecution issue, but I, I had a physical thing where my back went out on me completely. I mean, it was terrible. It humbled me. It showed me my frailty. But at the same time, uh, God kind of turned that inside out. It was a key moment to me having a healthier back than I've ever had in my adult life, you know. Um, and and I think if, if we think of that kind of principle, that God is a redeemer of our brokenness, um, it, it certainly applies, especially um, in terms of advancing the kingdom of, in the world. Uh, the fact is that the gospel goes forward 
uh, on the back of suffering a lot of times mm-hmm. because the world forces are are set against and fight against the gospel. So uh, God redeems that suffering we face as we advance the gospel and, and turns it into really good things for us uh, in humbling us, giving us perspective, but also of advancing his cause in the world. Yeah, well, that is that is really helpful, really good. I think that's uh, something that, that people are listening can take with them and feel encouraged by. So, uh, George, thanks again, as always, for hopping on with us. Yes, thank you very much. So good to be with you guys again. Thanks for having me. All right, and thank you, Trevin, for co-hosting, as always, and thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.